0: Again, I just want to say this for, for those who aren't here this morning that are listening online. I don't want to remind that Advent starts next week. Advent is the season of, of preparation for the coming of, of the Christ child. And the importance of, of Christmas is fulfilled in the events of Easter right so it's very important holiday season to us it's it's bigger than the day of christmas it's a season of preparation and and i love that and i love the traditions we we celebrate with the advent wreath and the the readings of hope Joy, love, peace, and then it culminates on on Christmas. And this year we're going to celebrate Christmas, as I shared, on Thursday the 22nd. Because of the nature of this congregation, many people travel or will be with their family elsewhere and such. And, and honestly, the lake isn't as inviting on when it's as cold as it is <laughs> as it would be in July. But it's a wonderful place to be, and we're blessed to be in God's great creation. But to accommodate that, we'll be celebrating Christmas on Thursday the 22nd, we'll be celebrating here in this church. We'll, be, we'll do it online as well. And like I shared, it's, it's a great opportunity for those who might otherwise have conflicts with family schedules and travels to be here as a family to celebrate this wonderful day, this wonderful event. And I'm hopeful that those who are friends of the church, who come to our events and our neighbors and our friends might be here with us to celebrate that night, even if they may celebrate somewhere else on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. This week's message, Questions and Doubts, and I kind of subtitled Approaching God with Curiosity, Wonderment, and Skepticism. Doesn't sound very good, doesn't feel very good, but we're gonna, we're gonna dive into it a little bit because the message, the story is good. So we agree we are the church. That's right, the church isn't a building. It isn't programs. It isn't even the sum total of a, of a powerful worship service. The church is people. As such, the church is afflicted by its own humanity fear, anger, resentment, envy, lust, pride, name a sin, name of vice, it's represented here, right? We aren't better than anyone else and we certainly aren't perfect. But we are God's children, every single one of us, and we're trying to do better. With God's help, we're trying to do better. And that is why we need God's love, Jesus' salvation, and the acceptance, support, and the encouragement of one another. That's why we gather here. Not only despite this, but because of our humanity, we strive to be a people, not in a place of grace. A gathering of individuals with common issues and common questions and common needs and a uniting mission. We also have common issues of faith and doubt, every one of us. We do. And they exist just as often among Christians of every maturity level as they do anywhere else in the world. What do we think about these issues? Unfortunately, the topic is presented in ways that are confusing and and only increase people's anxiety about their doubt if they're presented from the pulpit at all. And this morning, we're going to take a a high-level look at what the Bible says about three questions in particular. Is it okay to have questions? Is it okay to have doubts? And are these indicators of a lack of faith? Now, I'm going to tell you in advance. I don't want to ruin it for you, but this is going to be a positive message. Is it okay to have questions? In in a word, yes. Yes, a question that's answered is, is, is one that's pursued and it leads to wisdom, right? If you have a question and you're fine with being ignorant, I'm not saying stupid, right? If you're with not knowing, that's, that's not okay. But a question that's answered makes you smarter, more informed, it leads to wisdom and wisdom is true understanding. God calls us to seek wisdom. Through God's words, we gain an understanding that God is the one who gives the the gift of knowledge. That is an understanding or awareness of something. The Lord, however, grants knowledge to those who have an honest relationship with him. He wants you to know him better and the reason you are here and the the, the reason for the purpose he has given you. James 1.5 instruction says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. God wants us to ask questions and then turn to him for the answers. I don't know if you're a parent or a or parent of a young child, what's the biggest fear? That they're gonna, you're, they're gonna ask their friends the questions that you hope someone who knows something will answer for them, whether it's in regards to peer pressure or something really, really important like this. God says, it's okay to ask, but ask me and I'll tell you. Listen to the familiar words of Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, right? respect the Lord, and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. When it comes to having faith, the Bible often portrays it as a question of whose perspective we intend to rely on. We can lean into what we know and understand about God on his ways. Or we can trust in our own understanding. As it relates to faith, it asks the question Am I willing to admit and accept that there are limitations of my human understanding and then trust God for the rest? You know, when there was this conflict between Job, this, you know, upright, honorable man of God by God's own definition, you know, there was this dissertation going back and forth, and Job's just kind of hammering at God, and God's let him have it. He said, Oh, yeah? Well, do you know the reason for this and all this? There's chapters and chapters of the book of Job where God just saying, you know what? There's stuff that I never intended for you to fully know or understand, and that's okay. I'm God. I'm God, trust me. It's only as we accept God's way that our path begins to straighten, whatever that looks like, right? A a straight path through through a a wilderness season in our life. God, where are you in that? Where, Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? That path gets laid out straight, or the, or the curves that go through our life, sometimes that gets straightened out. That's what his response is. In all your ways, submit to him. Trust him. Surrender to him, the good kind of surrender, and he will make your path straight. In the opening book, our verses of the book of James, we are told that if we feel like we lack wisdom, we should pray for it. God wants us to Wants to give us understanding, but it doesn't do us any good to pray for wisdom if we don't believe can God can give it to us, if we don't trust the source. It goes on to warn against being unstable and double-minded when asking. If you are asking God questions and but don't believe the answer will come, then how can you benefit from divine wisdom if you doubt its existence? And I want to be clear on something. James is not saying that the strength of our belief is the defining variable in every prayer we pray. Right? Because there are times that our belief is, is kind of a little bit under attack. And he says that's not what gives us strength. No one should feel like a tragedy could have been avoided if you just had more faith. That's one of Satan's tools that say you just aren't good enough. That's why this is happening. You know, God just doesn't love you anymore. That's not how it works. Don't ever think that the stuff you're going through. Could have been avoided if you had just had more faith. Faith is what's gonna get you through it though. What about doubts? It's okay to have doubts. Now the disciple Thomas, he gets a really bad reputation for this one, right? What do we call Thomas? Doubting Thomas, poor guy. We'll get to him in a second, but he actually had a lot more going for him than that. But, but when I think about Jesus' own disciples who had doubts, I think of the story of Peter being called out of the boat. And this came to my mind as I was preparing for this message and also because for the past couple weeks we were singing that song, Oceans. And we'll get to that in a second. But the story is recorded in Matthew 14, 28 through 31. And I'm gonna enlist the help of a skit on this one. I'm not gonna act it out. So I've got a video for you to to watch. Does he have his own boat? Just get in the boat. Why are we doing this? Hey, I just do as I'm told, all right? Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> um, Peter, what? There's a storm up ahead. A big storm. Doesn't look very good, does it? No. So we should just turn around and go back. No. Look, he says, pick up the bread. I'm picking up the bread. All right. Uh, he says, get in the boat. I'm in the boat. He says, row. I just row. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, just row. Just row. <laughs> I think that's Jesus out there. Oh, <laughs> wow. <well. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have a boat. But he's catching up. Yeah. And he's walking on the water. You stay there. Peter, what are you doing? Peter, you can't swim. Oh Lord, I'm not sure we should be able to be doing this. Peter! <laughs> Maybe we'll just get back in the boat, more. What do you it's, think it's, you're doing? It just seemed like a good idea at the time. But, Eddie, I took two steps, did you see? I took two steps. I took two steps. Lord! Lord, get in the boat! You scared how did you do that? How did you do that? <laughs> but he just called it me. Now, you meant him, right? <laughs> you want him to get out of the boat. The disciples saw the Lord walking on water toward their boat in the middle of the night. Peter calls out the Lord and tells him, If that is you, then call me to come to you. And the Lord does. Uh oh, called his bluff. Now, think about this for a moment. Peter stands up in the boat and steps overboard. He is called way out of his comfort zone, certainly outside of his realm of understanding. People like me don't walk on water. But he still gets out of the boat. Matthew tells us that he actually walked out on the water toward the Lord. But when the when he saw the wind picking up, he had doubts. And what happened? He panicked. And what happened? He began to sink. And Jesus had to rescue him. Verse 31 says, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, Why did you doubt? Just give me a little pause. After all, Peter was the only disciple who, who spoke out in faith upon seeing Jesus. He was the only one that got out of the boat. So why would Jesus point out his lack of faith? For a moment, Peter resisted every rule he knew about the situation, his mind, his human mind, and, and how he understood it. He didn't rely on his own understanding of the natural law of physics. I'm not convinced that Jesus was scolding Peter. Perhaps he was reminding him that he'd already done the hard part. He had already stepped out in faith. He panicked after experiencing the miracle. You ever do that? You ever do that? I'm not too proud to say that that I've, I've done it. God has overcome my doubts and blessed me when I stepped out of my comfort zone in faith. And then I look around where I'm at and then I'm uncomfortable. How did I get here? Oh, no. God had already led me through the hard part, the decision and the first step to believe and trust in him. Are you like that? Have you done that as well? Our faith flexes at different moments. Sometimes we step out and and do something challenging and, and after we get over the hurdles, that's when we hesitate to go a little further. Sometimes we just stay in our comfort zone for a moment too long. Faith isn't something you either have or you don't have. It's a muscle that grows as stronger as you use it. It's a lifestyle, it's a belief system of faith. And the story of Peter being called out of the boat is the inspiration for the song Oceans that we've had concluded worship with during the last message series. I wanna, can, I wanna start with the lyrics here. I was gonna call someone out to sing it, but I don't think that that would be well-received, even though I'm talking about comfort zones. But I'm just gonna read the lyrics, right? And hopefully they'll, you'll remember this from, from the song. It says, you call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. And the chorus is this. It says, and I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves when oceans rise. My soul will rest in your embrace for I am yours and you are mine. Are you seeing it now? Second verse, your grace abounds in deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds me, you've never failed and you won't start now. And it goes back to that chorus, right? And the last it's, is this bridge. It says, spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my savior. And it ends with that powerful chorus. And I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves when oceans rise. My soul will rest in your embrace for I am yours and you are mine. Man. That's good stuff. So what about these disciples? The faith of his disciples. Matthew 28, 16. And we know this to be the kind of the precursor to the Great Commission. It says, Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountainside where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The disciples and others had spent about three years with Jesus. They'd, they'd heard his teachings. They'd seen miracles happen. I mean, this is amazing. The Messiah and friend was crucified and buried, and a couple of days later, they were dining with him. If there was ever a good reason to believe, then the unbelievable, this is it. These guys had seen it and experienced it. Yet some doubted, it said. So is it okay to have doubts? Well, Jesus doesn't chastise them, He doesn't tell them, I was going to give you guys some really good instructions, but since you still don't believe me, just never mind. Instead, he meets them where they are, right? He meets us where we are in our faith. He confides in them and he charges them with new responsibilities. Why? Because faith isn't defined by a specific moment of doubt. Faith is much bigger than these momentary questions and that, and that fear might, might suggest. Now we've talk about doubting Thomas. It's John 20, 24 through 29. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Okay, so this is a little, this gives you a little more context, right? It's just that he didn't blindly doubt them. He, he wasn't there. He didn't see this. He says, but he said to them, this is Thomas saying them, he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. It's tough, right? To rationalize this stuff. Look, I want to believe, but... I've got to see with my own eyes. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he turned to Thomas and he said, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, listen to this, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is important. You know, Thomas will forever be known as doubting Thomas for this one thing, but there was a time when, when the disciples were trying to talk Jesus and uh, talk him out of going back to Judea to see Lazarus because the authorities wanted him dead. But it's but Thomas who said, let us go, that we may die with him. That's found in John. You know, Thomas wasn't the doubter that we, we credit him for being, but, but he made that profound statement, like, show me, right? We get that. This, we're in Missouri. It's a show me state. Mm-hmm. But let's put Thomas' story in context. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he appears to the disciples, and John says Thomas wasn't with them. They believed because they were there and saw the Lord earlier when Mary tried to tell them that, they, that she had seen the Lord. They didn't believe her either. They didn't do anything different than Thomas did. They didn't believe her He didn't believe them. It's too good to be true. And Thomas responds like anyone asked to believe something that seems too extraordinary. He wants to see the evidence with their own eyes. The truly more remarkable thing is that Jesus makes a special trip to accommodate him. Again, the Lord doesn't berate or chastise Thomas. Jesus shows Thomas the scars and encourages him to believe, believe. And Thomas responds with heartfelt worship. But here's the really crucial thing. Jesus' final statement that I read, it's one thing to see and believe. Okay, that's, that's easy. That doesn't take as much faith. But a vast majority of Jesus' followers will not have the luxury of putting their finger in his hand or in his side. We won't, not physically. They don't get to touch the scars. We won't get to touch the scars. So by saying, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed, Jesus recognized that belief isn't simple or easy for any of us. If you struggle with doubt, Jesus completely gets you. He gets you. So are questions and doubts are these indicators of a lack of faith? I can think that we can say that they themselves are not. Having a doubt, having a question doesn't mean you lack faith. It is what you do with your doubts that defines your faith. Were you stopped dead in your tracks or did you take the step? And God doesn't begrudge your questions. He he just wants you to ask him for the answer. And then he wants you to trust in him with the answer he gives you, even if it's not what you want to hear. Questions and doubts aren't the opposite of faith. You know what the opposite of faith is? Fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. And you know how you overcome fear? With your your faith. And our faith isn't based on anything that doesn't exist, it's real as a promise. A promise that God has kept not only throughout time, but in your life if you stop and think about it. How many times have I had doubts or questions or fear and God took care of it, right? I did a whole series a couple years ago called Far Flung Faith and it was this premise that was, that was you know, I, 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 I'm nervous, I'm in, God got me through it, okay. So now I can, I can trust a little bit more. And this doesn't require as much faith because God's already gotten through it once, me through it once. And, and I've learned that it's temporary and I survived and, and good came from it. So the next time something comes along, I've got a little bit of basis in my faith. But God says, I'm not okay with you just having that much faith. So I'm gonna pull you out a little more. And this is how our faith has grown, right? We put it out there and then we grow into it. It never comes just easier automatically. And Jesus gets that. Biblically speaking, faith is near, never merely the specific beliefs we have because our lives will always reveal where our faith lies. Hebrews eleven six tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay, whoa, whoa. That, that, but I, I know that my faith wavers. But listen to the reason why he says that. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Okay, God isn't pleased because of your faith. He's pleased that you came to him and that's what your faith is based on. And when we think of faith as a synonym for belief, that is, that is never okay to have doubts or questions that we will interpret it to mean that having the right ideas and never doubting them is the key to pleasing God. That's, that's wrong. That's bad theology. It's untrue. This is far from the truth. And it also alienates those who seek a relationship with God, but are discouraged by this kind of improper thinking and improper teaching, Right? is someone going to want to come to a church or into a religion or faith that says, just don't ask, right? No, no. Ask, but ask the right questions. Ask, ask someone who can answer them. The truth is this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's true. Why? Because faith is necessary for us to live as children of God, obedient children of God. All the fruits of Christianity require faith. It takes faith to pray, right? When who prayed earlier for the things We did so in faith that God will hear them and God will answer them in his way and his timing. It takes faith to serve and to put others first, right? To put money in the plate or to commit your time and talents because we have a finite amount of those things and we have faith that God will do something good and worthwhile with it. It takes faith to embrace a kingdom view of the world, to see the world and people as God does. It takes faith because if we look at people the way other people do, boy, your faith won't last very long because we're all struggling with the same stuff. Jude 22 tells us, be merciful to those who doubt. Faith isn't static, it's not a given. We could have strong faith today and tomorrow go through something that makes us question everything. It's incredibly important that we treat one another with tenderness and care because that's how we protect doubt from becoming disbelief. When Thomas said that he wouldn't believe unless he held the, uh, felt the Lord's wounds, he didn't, didn't want faith. He wanted certainty. Thomas had faith. He was saying, I will believe it when you prove it to me, but faith isn't certainty. Faith is belief in the face of questions and misgivings. It is t- trust despite the doubts. For people to grow in faith, they need the freedom to take tentative steps, right? To step out of the boat, to, to stretch your faith a little bit. They need to trust that their questions will be met with gentleness. If you're blessed enough to have an opportunity to answer someone's question, even if you don't know, we respond with gentleness. I don't know, let me find out. Let's ask, let's look it up, Let's whatever we need to do. It's when doubt is met with mercy that faith expands because it is safe. Friends, here's the cool thing. God has an awesome history of turning skeptics and critics into powerful testimonies. He has. From this week's scripture, remember, Mark 9, 21 through 24, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? His son was afflicted. And it says, from childhood, he answered, it often thrown him in a fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus responds, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. And I, I think his tone was one of gentleness, not of condemnation, like how dare you doubt. But if I can, let me give you some assurance. Everything is possible. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my disbelief, my unbelief. The father's expression of faith is one of the most honest and meaningful statements about faith in the entire New Testament. Faith and doubt aren't opposing positions. they are often conditions that exist side by side. And when we understand that, when we accept that, we can make strides in our faith. This man asked Jesus to intervene because he does believe that Jesus can do something about it. He believes enough to bother asking, but he could believe more. We could always believe more. Every one of us could always believe more. And nothing seems more meaningful than using your existing faith to ask for more faith. Ooh, remember me talking about those risky prayers? God, help me have more faith. Okay, I have to test you. Right? God, help me learn patience. Okay, enjoy your commute to work. You know, that's, that's what we're doing when we're asking risky prayers. Test my faith to give me more faith. And God loves that. Not because he wants to punish you, but because he wants to improve you. Another one that you can't overlook when you talk about a skeptics whose criticism became a powerful testimony is that of Lee Strobel, who wrote the book called The Case for Christ and others. I'm just going to read a little blurb. This is from Wikipedia, but it's true. (laughs) If you had asked Strobel in the late 70s if he believed in a loving, all-knowing God, he would readily deny his existence. Strobel was an award-winning legal editor for the Chicago Tribune, a position he held for 14 years. He was a formally trained writer with a journalism degree from the University of Missouri, go Tigers, and a law degree from Yale. Strobel, the Ivy Leaguer, lived his life based solely on proven facts. Okay. He was well-respected in his field and had no need for organized religion. So he said, I added that part. Logic ruled his every decision. That is until his wife, a self-proclaimed agnostic, converted to Christianity. When his wife first began attending church and talking about Jesus, he thought his marriage was over. Little did he know it would be her conversion that would become the catalyst that would change the trajectory of his own life forever. He went on to research the life of Christ. I mean, he wanted to dig into facts. I won't get into that. The book itself was good. In fact, if you want a copy of the book, I'd be happy to loan it to you. So just shoot me an email, let me know, and I'll get it to you. But I'm just going to kind of jump ahead to the end here. The happy ending. Stroll officially became a Christian in 1981. certain the gospel that was true. After years of trying to win his own father's love, he realized he didn't have to earn the love of Christ and it was freely given. I think there's a real clue there to where Lee Strobel's struggle with his relationship with his heavenly father came from. But listen to this quote. Christianity is the only world religion that's built on grace rather than a system in which people try to work their way to God, he said. God's grace is an inexhaustible topic that has so many implications for our life and eternity. it's relevant. It's relevant. You see, doubt does not negate faith. The disciples continue to follow Jesus despite their doubts. Likewise for us, the existence of doubt in our lives does not mean we no longer have faith. The Great Commission, right, go and make disciples of all nations, was given also to doubters. This was one of the points Dave and Scott make in the episode, oh, sorry, Um, in in another episode that I was going to show, but I, I cut it out. But this is, the Great Commission was given to doubters. it was. It was. God never expects expects us to have all the answers or to be perfect, certainly not first. The doubters were still doubted when Jesus gave them the great commission and they didn't have to first get rid of their doubts in order to fix their faith. In fact, it's the apostle Paul who writes in Romans 5, 6, or 8. He says, you see, at just the right time when we were still sinners. So that was just the right time for us while we're still sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So regarding the Great Commission, which we've been talking about the past few Sundays, Jesus didn't say, once you're absolutely certain to the core, go. You know, once you got it all figured out and you, you're all bought in, go. He didn't say that. He looks at these worshiping, doubting guys and says, you go. You doubters, Go. Go tell the world the good news about me. The very news you're doubting with your own eyes right now. I know it seems too good to be true. I know it doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem real. So get up and go, doubters. I'll go with you. As you go to share about me with others, you'll find your own doubts being healed. There you go. As we go forth and talk to others, our own doubts will be healed. You'll have new doubts along the way and I'll be with you in those two. Stand right in front of you. That's where I'll be. Disciples are not people who never doubt. They, they doubt and they continue to worship. They doubt and they continue to serve. They doubt and they help each other with the other's doubts. To be a community where everybody can be open about their faith and open about their doubts, that is the gift of Christianity. That is the gift of congregational fellowship. Church, let me leave you with just one last thought. We can't be content with just saying, I believe just because I do. I I just believe. Ask God your tough questions and allow him to respond to your doubts. It's a risky question, but, but do it. See what he says. Let's make that our prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for who we are to you. Lord, we know that There are many things we must come to you and apologize and ask for forgiveness for. Our sins, our vices, the way we treat others, the way we treat ourselves, the way we treat your creation. But you don't ask us to apologize for our doubts and questions. You ask us to bring them to you so that you can address them, so you can heal them. And Lord, you send us out. Not despite these, but because of them. Who better than to address the doubts, concerns, afflictions of another person than the one who is there themselves. Lord, we are a powerful testimony in your name. And you know that, and that's why you ask us to go, not to stay here, not to stay silent, but to make a difference in the world. We may do it through our words, we may just do it through our actions and our attitudes. Lord, we ask you bless this process. We know you will. Heavenly Father, as we celebrate the Thanksgiving season, we just specifically give you thanks for this calling, this charge. We thank you for the way you provide in our lives that, that just the basic provisions, having food, air in our lungs, just clothing and shelter is a blessing in and of itself. And we thank you for that. Lord, there are those in the world who, who don't feel security in those provisions unless you've ever mindful of them, not only in this season, but every day going forward. May we be your light in the world. May we provide for those who are in need. May we serve those who need to be served. And may we be an example for all who need an example. Lord, and not our example, is just a reflection of you. We thank you for that opportunity. And we thank you for that challenge. And we thank you above all else for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. amen.